Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hi, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen. Whether you're watching our podcast on one of our many platforms or listening to us on the radio out in California on KCAA, our NBC affiliate, we appreciate you supporting our show. Today, we have a very fun show, a unique show. Jackie Dalton is on the show. Jackie is a founder and CEO of Sparrow Executive Jet Charter. She was also a, a thoroughbred jockey, an owner, and a breeder. So we're going to have a fun show today. And like she said the other day, fast jets, fast horses. I love it. Jackie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, man. Well, I, I bet the show's going to go really fast. You know, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, Everything I do is fast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So so let's just start. So before you became a jockey, did you grow up wanting to ride horses? Did you just ride Western and say, I'm going to be a jockey or what happened? No, but you know, I think it's it's funny because people always default and and say, I remember Jackie growing up. She always said she wanted to be a jockey, which was not true at all. I mean, just like any little girl, I loved horses. I love animals in general, but you know, I started riding Western show horses when I was about 10 years old. My dad is a is a cowboy or was a cowboy. He passed away about a decade ago, but you know, wow. he was he was a cowboy, loved horses and introduced me to it and you know, it was, it was fun, but definitely different than the thoroughbred racing world that I wound up in. Wow. That's so cool. I didn't know. So your dad was a cowboy and you grew up the Western way. Um, what triggered you to go from the Western saddle, the cowboy way life to flat tack, which is a flatter saddle that jockeys use? It's so funny. You're saying that my father used to make so much fun of the English saddles. We'd go to the show and he would always say, it just looks like a pimple on a horse's back when he'd see those English saddles. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it was a couple years in between from when I rode Western to wound up, when I wound up on the, the backside of a racetrack. And really, you know, as I told you earlier before the show, yeah, I was short. I was looking for an opportunity. I was a high school dropout and there was a racetrack nearby. And I thought short was enough to, to get me in the saddle. And I'd been on a horse before. Didn't really know the difference between a, a quarter horse and a thoroughbred per se. Uh, so I just showed up in white cowboy boots at the back of a racetrack and said, I want to be a jock and started from there. Oh my goodness. That, that's, <laughs> that's really, uh, that, that's so cool that you did that. It takes a lot of fortitude, you know? Um, so, so what was it like? So how, first, I guess first, how many women are jockeys in, in, in horse racing? What's the percentage do you think? I, you know what? I have to get that statistic. I think maybe the Jockey Guild would probably be able to fill us in on how many actual, what percentage of the Jockey Colony are female. I don't, it's not much bigger than it was back then, maybe a little bit, but it's still very male-dominated. That's so cool that, you know, you had the fortitude just to say, hey, I'm going to do it, and you did it. So, so what was that like? So did you, when you showed up at the back of the track, at the racetrack, did you just go up mm -hmm. to someone and say, I want to be a jockey? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any better. I didn't realize everybody on <laughs> I didn't realize everybody on the backside of a racetrack wants to be a jockey for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, so but I you know, just like anything, I you know, hit the barns one by one and introduced myself and you know, showed up thinking that being short, like I said, was was enough to give me an opportunity. But it was one trainer, his name was John Forbes and his assistant Patrick McBurney. And when I said I wanted to be a jockey, John Forbes looked at me and he said, oh, no, not again. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, he's done it before. This guy can make me a jockey. So I went and sat on his bench for about two hours. The end of the morning, they were wrapping up and I just started rolling bandages and participating and having conversation. And, you know, the horses were all put away and fed and Pat McBurney walked out and I was still sitting there, which to be honest, I had some blisters on my feet. The cowboy boots were one size too big. They weren't mine. <laughs> and uh, he said, all right, come back tomorrow. So I showed up the next morning, 530, bright and early and rolled bandages and wiped down foot boxes and, you know, just hung around the barn. But it, it took a while before they actually put me on the back of a horse. Oh, my goodness. So what, what did your cowboy dad think or your family think when you're at the barn and you're you're looking at racehorses? 
I think I was 17, 16 or 17 years old. So I wasn't really communicating much with my parents about anything I was doing at that point, right? Once you show up on the backside of the racetrack, you're pretty independent. Yeah, you're, you're um, there. Yeah. yeah it, you know, and even if I was saying anything about it, I don't know if they were really paying that much attention as to whether, <laughs> or, not, whether or not I was going to make it happen, but I, you oh, know, I did. My, that's so awesome. So awesome. Yeah. So what was it like when, when he came to you and said, did you start in a race or did you start with a practice or did you start in a warm up in the morning with a horse or how'd you start? Your I started practice? mucking out stalls, right? So I got to take care of 60 head of beautiful horses, right? And you think about the owners and how much those horses are worth and getting the opportunity to be around them. So the only horse I was really allowed to be on was the pony. So I got to rub the pony, practice bandages on the pony, muck out the pony stall, ride the pony, which was a big deal. Um, and then from there, you know, every once in a while, once I had a couple, couple of months under my belt, they would take me out on a couple fillies, little fillies, nervous fillies that could, I was about 92, 95 pounds. So I was nice and light. So the height started to come in handy once they, they saw I had the nerve and I could definitely handle a horse. I did some pole bending and barrel racing. So definitely had nerves of steel and I'd go out with um, the pony alongside of me and I'd be in, in, in the saddle and a racehorse in, in, in what's actually called an exercise saddle, uh, not quite a, quite an English saddle. And we just go out and go around the oval. And that was my first experience on the actual track. And then the first time I got to go out on the track by myself was on a pony and oh. you'll love this. They let yeah. me loose. They let me loose and a whole bunch of people came up to watch this big soon to be jockey, aspiring jockey. You going out, you know, backing up one mile, jogging on a pony, but the pony in my defense used to be a, a racehorse. So we knew how to run, but I was backing up. I'm learning how to post. I'm doing the whole thing. And, looking really good. I get behind the tote board and I was tired. So I thought I'd take a little rest and maybe not look as proper. And the pony, his name was Woody. He just started going a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And I was like, whoa, Woody, whoa, Woody. Started taking in the reins a little bit. And as you know, once you put a horse on the bit, especially a racehorse, they'll pick it up and go. So they saw me jogging and posting behind the tote board and then like a shot the wrong way just now flying i swear to this day no matter how many races i rode i still have never gone as fast as i did on that pony that day so the out yeah it was hilarious the, the outrider had to pick me up you know caught me which was good and uh then got back oh yeah oh yeah oh, man. oh my yep. goodness well you know, you know something Jockeys are such athletes, you know, going around that big track in that position on your legs and being so balanced. Um, that's tough. That is so tough. So how did you how did you stay in shape? What is, did you do something special or did you just get on that horse and and just naturally have that instinct? Lainey, you always see the afternoon races, but it's really the morning work that gets you primed up and fit and ready, just like the horses. I mean, you go out in the morning, you show up, you get on 10, 12 horses in the morning. And by the time you're riding races, you can't possibly be racing fit. It's just a completely different type of fit, but you're mm -hmm. fit enough. And uh, you start getting out there. And once you start riding races, you're just so adrenaline peaked and the horses are just so prime conditioned and ready to run themselves. And you, like you said, you know, athletes are really pound for pound, just extraordinary athletes. So I'm not quite in that ship that quite in that shape nowadays, but back then it was, you just, your body just acclimates to what you're doing and, you know, you keep pace with the horse that you're riding, just like any, any uh, discipline when you ride. I love that. Uh, I love that. So, so what was it like your first race? Do you remember the, maybe the track you were on or the horse's name when you, when you went in the dressing room, you saw your silks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really exciting. I rode a, I rode a mare five years old. She had enough racing experience that she could quote unquote, keep me out of trouble. So I was just told, you know, come out of the gate, hold on, don't fall off. If you get in trouble, get to the outside. Her name was Miss Forleon. She was 21 to one. It was at my hometown racetrack, which is in Oceanport, New Jersey. And uh, just putting on your silks the first day is your first time experiencing that or being in a racing saddle, which my saddle, Angel Cordero Jr., it had been a saddle that he had retired in, a Hall of Fame jockey who was a wow. mentor of mine. So that was real exciting. Big name, yeah. And 
Um, yeah, all my family and friends were there from high school and teachers and the whole thing. But I was expecting to lose, but went out. And once the once I sat on her back, I could feel it. It wasn't, I didn't recognize it at the time, but you get that sense from a horse. I think she knew she had a special mission that day. And we broke on top, came out of the gate first, rode on the rail, turning for home. And I'm thinking, where is everybody? Why, why isn't anybody passing me? And we just <laughs> kept going and we won. It was really exciting. First race. First race ever, yeah. That's strong. That's so strong. That's like a drop your yeah. mic kind of deal, you know? Oh, yeah. I should have just stopped right there. 100% yeah. win percentage out the door. Yeah. Been there, done that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How cool is that? How many people would love to start that way? So so yeah. what was it like getting your picture made with your family and friends, your first horse, your first win? Um, it had to be just on the top for sure because you created your yeah. way. It was, it was really surreal. I mean, you know, racing was an opportunity for me to make a new path and opportunity for myself. You know, like the beginning of the conversation, it wasn't like I had some childhood dream of being a jockey. It was really a hard knock path for me. It was, what am I going to do with my life? Um, you know, how am I going to make opportunity for myself? And I chose that path. And so it was a, a huge success in terms of proving myself out and getting to that, to that point and then winning just looking around and seeing the looks on my mom's faces, my brothers, my trainers, the owners that gave me the opportunity, right? Shout out to them. Absolutely. It's not, it's, it, it's a big deal for somebody to put you in the saddle and give you an opportunity to ride. So it was a real privilege. And I, I think my most memorable part of that day was seeing the look on everybody else's face. And of course the mayor, I mean, just, I had ridden her in the morning and she really brought me home safe and sound. So that was a big deal too. She'll always be special to me. Absolutely. That's such a cool story. <laughs> such a cool story. So, so how many rides did you do in, in, in a race? Or so race? I rode just up about maybe 210, 215, somewhere in there, just over 200 races. That's awesome. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. So did, after, after you got through riding, is that when you started your, your, uh, your breeding program and, and getting involved in other aspects of horse racing? Yeah. When I left racing, I went back to school cause I'd been a high, a high school dropout. And racing really, aside from learning to ride, which I loved and being a jockey, I also learned a lot about work ethic and opportunity. And I had always had, you know, fairly smart noggin. So yeah. I just thought, let me really go back. You never get over dro dropping out of high school. And I went to get my GED at a community college, Brookdale Community College. And then from there, I transferred to Northwestern University and graduated top of my class. So that was Another nice feather in my cap. And uh, then I went into high-tech public relations. I got married. I had some somewhat of a suburban life for a while, got into some charitable organizations and things like that. And then I went back. I, I went back into racing. It was actually the Breeders' Cup returning to my hometown racetrack and then having an opportunity to serve on the host committee that that lured me back to racing and from there I, I got into ownership and then breeding and got to experience the industry from that perspective i love that i love how you just create your way and then you do it at a high level that that's so cool so so somebody may be listening or watching today maybe they don't have horse racing in their blood or maybe not jets which we're going to talk to here in a little bit what what is something you can tell them how do you wake up one day and say i'm going to go to this university and be top of the classroom. I'm going to go be a jockey. What's something you can, some words of wisdom? Well, what do they say when it comes to horses? You just got to get up there and do it. So Absolutely. you can think it, you can do it. Absolutely. So, and, you know, I think another thing is not being afraid to fail. You know, yeah. you really have to be willing to fall off. You really have to be willing to take, take 10 shots and maybe just get it right once. But if you just give it, give it the go, at least give it the go. You'll yeah, I, I love that. I, I love that. Now, I love how you just create your ways. And you know, when we come right back, we're going to talk about what was your favorite, owning or owning horses or, or breeding horses or being a jockey and how that led to the next life experience, the Jets. So we'll be right back with the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA, Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. 
Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, there are little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions. Rebellious Infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. Hello and welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Our guest is Jackie Dalton, founder and CEO of Sparrow Executive Jet Charter and former thoroughbred race jockey. So, so Jackie, we were just talking about, you know, being a jockey or, or being a breeder, or being an owner. What was your favorite aspect of the thoroughbred industry? Definitely the breeding side. When you're bringing when you're bringing new life into the world and you get to see these horses actually get out onto the racetrack and and race and run and that that was definitely my my favorite part that's awesome so did you have so is there a story or is there a certain you know uh, a horse that you raised or that you you were a part of that you experienced that 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 transition? yes yes absolutely my first filly in the racing world was a jersey bred named jumpin jacqueline which was fateful because we didn't name her um oh, but wow. Isn't that funny? And she That's was a real cool. runner. She had a great, a great heart. She won some nice races for us right here in Jersey. And I'm a Jersey girl. This is my my hometown turf. So that was really exciting. And she had a, a, a bit of a mishap and wound up having an ankle. And I I retired her rather than drop her down low and run her for a claiming tag and, and lose her. I, I thought, I'm just going to breed her. And I had no background in breeding. Nothing about her bloodline necessarily made her qualified to be a horse that somebody would look look at and, and breed, but I just felt like she had earned her way. And so I wound up breeding her and she just crossed her $1 million progeny and earnings uh, mark. Congratulations. Uh, a year or two ago. So she produced some runners, nothing flashy, no big name horses, but definitely runners with big hearts just like her. So she holds a very special place in my heart. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love the names of horse racing, you know? Um, so so with, with your horse, how did you come up with names? Or what's a funny story? Because they're, they're so unique um, to to the owner or to the ranch. As well, I think the 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 best name we came up with. I have twin sons, and at the time, I think they were seven years old, and it was my third or fourth foal. And my son Michael, he's a real Spitfire, and the name of the sire we bred her to was Bustin Stones, a New York stallion. And my son, Michael, we were just teaching him how to play blackjack, but I, I know that sounds horrible, but no, it's totally I, innocent. And he would just always bust the bank out. He just, you know how some people just have that yeah. kind of luck? Yeah. He yeah, just they, had that kind of luck and he was always busting the bank out. So we named that cult after him. We named him Bustin' the Bank. So that's I one of my that. favorite, favorite naming it, history. But you're right. That's, naming horses is fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a cool, the, the, the backstory <laughs> to horse names are so fun. I love that. 
I love that. I had so another cool. Buston Stones horse, actually. I got to tell you this one, too. Yeah, she was please. my first stateswoman in Philly. She was also by Buston Stones, and we named her Philabuston. <laughs> I, love <it. laughs> I love it. Isn't it fun when you hear the announcer of the crowd calling your horse's name, and you know where that came from? There is nothing like it. Yeah. That's nothing so like awesome. winning a race. Yeah. So awesome. So, so being a jockey, you're owning horses. Did you travel a lot within the industry or did you stay in the Jersey area? Yeah, it's a gypsy lifestyle. Back then there were more race, race tracks here in Jersey. You had, uh, I think four at the time. Now there's only one, but we, it, it's still seasonal. You run for about three months and then you pack up and you move. So I, I primarily went up and down the, the coast uh, you know, from New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Philadelphia, and then, but mostly New Jersey and then down in Florida, which was wonderful. Spending the winters in Florida. Great, was fantastic. Man. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome right there. <laughs> that is awesome. So is, is that kind of where you started coming up with the, the idea to have your, have your jet charter, Sparrow? Like, I'm going to make travel easier. Is that where it came from? No, there's really not a link in that way, but I will say racing and the lifestyle of racing, the community of racing, the competitive nature of racing, the travel aspect, not necessarily in the air, more on the ground, but that's definitely at the heart of Sparrow and what I do. It's the industries are, are comparable to some, to some extent, uh, but I didn't lead from one into the other because they were connected. I had, I had some time in between. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So we talked about horse names. So how did you come up with Sparrow? Ooh, good question. Yeah, I, I'm, little, I'm little, <laughs> I'm fortunate. <laughs> and I don't know, I get the job done. You know, I don't think you had to be a hawk or an eagle. Everybody's coming out with these big dominating names and yeah. yeah, I just thought yeah. at the end of the day, it, and again, this is this is like the the equestrian community. I think you know the sparrow is very hardworking, very diligent, get the, gets the job done well. But the sparrow, as a community, gets the job done even better when they work together. And the jet charter industry is like that. It's not something that you can do as much as you do on your own. You really depend on collaborating with many other players in the industry. So Sparrow is not just about the individual Sparrow, but about the community of Sparrows that make up the entire industry so that you can work together to do it well. So that's Ooh, the genesis that. I love that, man. There's a lot of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> that's really yeah. great. That is really great. So so explain, if you don't mind, explain what a jet charter is. For somebody watching, maybe they, they don't know. Maybe they'll be interested. So what what is a jet charter? A jet charter is just if you are going to travel privately and you want to charter a jet or rent a jet is probably another way to say it. You contact someone like me that can go out, understands the industry, identify the right aircraft for the mission that you're flying. Uh, many factors actually go into that. And then we just facilitate your your private jet travel. You know, We handle identifying the aircraft, securing the aircraft, running the passenger manifest, making sure that the flight itself goes off according to plan. If there's any issues, being able to run up behind it, make sure that there's a recovery in place, just really overseeing your entire flight operation. Wow. What, that's, that's so great. I mean, you just take all the stress. So they just call you, you set it up, they get to enjoy their travel. Oh, absolutely. If you're not enjoying it. You shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, so, so what advice do you have for, I mean, that's, it, it sounds so foreign to some people, jet travel or, or whatnot. How, what, what advice do you have? To, once again, we're going back to the entrepreneur side. How did you get jumped, jump into jet travel or, or helping someone like that? How did you find that niche? So I started in marketing and sales. I had a skill set that I could apply pretty much to any industry. So I feel really fortunate that I wound up in the jet charter industry. And I wound, I started about 12 years ago. It's quite a different Nothing about the basics of the industry and how it operates have changed, but the way it gets pushed out to the consumer has a much broader consumer base right now. Uh, the messaging has really changed. Technology has really driven a lot of attention to it, mm -hmm. but it's not for everybody. It's not as accessible as people think that it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll go out to dinner for pizza with my friends on a Friday night and somebody will say, hey, can we charter a jet to go to California? <laughs> 
no, <laughs> we cannot. Um, you know, so I, one of the things that we really focus on is making sure that we we message correctly and resonate with the the proper clientele that we're servicing and don't dilute what the product is. It's, you know, one of the things in, in a lot of industries, they talk about Uber for private jets, Uber for whatever it might be. And, it, you know, it, it's really to, to somewhat, to some extent, it's a little condescending. I mean, these pilots are very highly skilled, you know, very well-educated, very hardworking. It's, it's a highly regulated industry and uh, it, it requires a lot of attention, especially with what we have going on right now with supply chain issues and parts and services. It's It requires a very focused attention to detail. So that's what we make sure that we do for our clients. Uh, I love that. So what, what are your clients? Are they families or are they more the business people or is it people just trying to go to a horse race? I love the ones going to a horse race. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> Special place. Yeah, we, you know, I, I always say that a, a charter company, you can tell a lot about a charter company based on the type of clientele that they service. And I'm really proud to say that our client, our clients are just really impressive, hardworking, self-made people that create jobs and opportunity. And, you know, we've seen everything from, you know, traveling across the country or internationally and doing business flights, business trips and development projects to, that time that they do get to fly with their family, which is real high quality time that uh, I always say it's very sacred time in the cabin that you that you get to spend. It's, you know, to, to have that time with your children when you work so hard or you're really not as accessible as you might want to be and you get to do a trip and that time that you're in the air is is time that you really get to connect. So that's very meaningful, very family oriented. We have a lot of I, I find that we resonate most with very family focused clients. Wow, I, I just heard your voice, and I was in my mind. I'm thinking, man, that would be so great to take the family, and I can see where that would be a special time for sure. Well, it's part of the trip, yeah. it's part of the vacation, or part of wherever you're doing. It becomes uh, a memory for sure, for sure. Oh, absolutely. The minute you get to the jet, you pull right up, you get right on. It's very special, and you get to see, you know, the jet. And no matter no matter how much you fly private. You know, it's very impressive when you pull up, you see the aircraft and you get to yeah. appreciate the different equipment and see what you're flying. You meet the pilots and, you know, to see, you know, a father or a mother take a seat and a child just jump in their lap and, you know, have that special time. It's it's adorable. That's really cool. They're really cool. So when, so when you booked your first jet charter, what was that? I mean, what was better, your first ride on the track or was that? Because both of them are such extremes. Oh, no, no. You can't get me comparing horses to jets. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I, love them both. I love them both. But yeah. I would prefer to be on a horse any day of the week. Absolutely. So. Okay, that was, that was a good one. <laughs> I was hoping for that answer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So so when did you start, Sparrow? Did... I started Sparrow right before COVID hit, right as COVID hit. Wow. Uh, the, the, really? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it as an opportunity to really take my experience and I, you know, the, the downturn in flying was predicted at that point. Now we're seeing the upswing in it, but at that point in time, people had really grounded to a halt and we expected they wouldn't fly much, which I thought was a good time to develop a brand, a message, a platform, get some basics in place. And so that's when I started Sparrow and, uh, but my client base actually kept flying. So you know, I was riding two horses with one tush. I, I, I was executing flights pretty quickly and at the same time building the basics of the business as a startup. And we're just over two years into it and it's been real competitive, uh, but we are holding our own for sure. And I think our message and dedication is really resonating uh, and cutting through some of the clutter that's out there. So we're, we're real proud of ourselves. So Jackie, I love that saying, you know, two seats, one saddle. I think, I think it's so clever and being an entrepreneur, that's what it's like. Sometimes there's four and five seats in one saddle. So how do you manage that? And when do you know to bring somebody in to help you? That's a real challenge. I, I think any business owner can probably relate to, especially when you're doing something like this and you need to trust people's lives with other people participating in the trip. So letting go of some of that control is is difficult, but you have to be able to lead people and make sure that you can teach well, lead well, and 
One thing I've learned for sure is that knowing your trade well is not the same as being a good entrepreneur and a good business owner. So those are my lessons. And as I'm learning, just making sure that I can teach what I know and instill that in, in, in people that I bring on, as long as they're working hard and dedicated and invested, you, work ethic is key. Can't teach worth ethic, worth ethic but you can, teach, you can teach skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that work ethic came from clean installs, you know, every morning for years, you know? No doubt. I always yeah. say the number one skill I know is how to muck out a stall. <laughs> You're <laughs> I love always it. mucking out a stall in business for sure. Always, always. <laughs> we got to thank so much for listening to Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. We'll be right back after this quick break. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA, Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, they're little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions, rebellious infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms, Drink Rebellious. Welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show with Jackie Dalton, talking everything from fast jets to fast horses. So, uh, so Jackie, would you talk a little bit more about Sparrow as far as whether it's invitation and, and referral and how that works, that process? Sure. That's something we get asked all the time. Why are we invitation only or referral only? And I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of interest in private jet charter. Who wouldn't want to fly private? Absolutely. So, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of sales opportunities, a lot of clickbait that's out there, a lot of lead generation that's taking place on the web. And we just don't, we just don't deal with, with a lot of that because it distracts from the flight operations, which for us, the sales are important, obviously, but it's really the flight that matters most. So we just focus on servicing our client base and they know better than anybody how we do what we do and what it's like to fly with us. So we just keep it close to home and focus on having a community of flyers that know us well. And we just really trust them and they trust us. And so we grow it out that way. I love that concept, the word of mouth. I mean, that's your best testimony. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree completely. And when you think about the type of I would say my biggest privilege is what I do for a living is the people that I work for. When you think about right. who they are and what they do, it's such a privilege. So really earning their trust and respect means a lot to us. So, and we do it one trip at a time. Our clients fly annually and, and have pretty active travel itineraries, but we look at every single individual flight as an opportunity to earn their trust. So uh, when they send us referrals, you know, we feel that we've earned it and 
they know that we'll take as, as good a care of, of their contacts and relationships as we've taken care of them. So that's a real testament. We, we take that. Yeah, really I love that. I love that. Well, it's a relationship business, just like almost everything is, you know, and, and that's just taking it to the next degree where, where they trust you to get them that's to what, where they're going. It is right. I mean, you know that even with, with what you're doing, you know, developing yeah. relationships and getting, taking yeah. a chance to know people. I, th I think to a great extent, technology has taken that out of the, out of the equation and right. it, it's at the heart of everything. I mean, when you wake up every single day, boots on the ground, and you spend your time doing something, and other people are, you, you want it to be meaningful. You want to, you want it to have impact, and you can't do anything well if your heart's not in it. So, absolutely, that's our approach. I love it. I, I could just hear it when you were talking about the family experience on your planes and your charters, and right there, just hearing you talk, I could tell that was a relationship part. I could hear your passion, and and I think that's where the referrals come from. You know, they have the great experience, and they bring people in. And it does stop a lot of the unnecessary uh, calls, you know, and, and you get to build your clientele. I think it's so, so great. Such a testament. I think we've gotten pretty good, actually. You can start to you could start to read this like just like a horse, right? You walk up yeah. to a horse, you can get a you sense know? and read the energy and, and know what yeah. the experience is going to be like. And I think as a, a startup owner in particular, you, you want every opportunity, but you really don't. You want the right opportunities. So we're, we're pretty good at, at getting a sense. Not everybody's the right fit for us. Not every, and we're not the right fit for everybody. So, you know, there are other opportunities and programs out there and, you know, people will contact us. We get some cold calls and, you know, we'll, we'll be pretty honest and, and let people know we're really, we're really not, not the right solution for you. Uh, maybe refer them elsewhere. And, and if they are, we're, we, we can sense it and we know it and we'll just hit the ground running. So. I, I love that. And that's so hard for business, people in business, entrepreneurs or whatever. So it's hard to say no, especially you've been in business for two years. With it's hard to know, but it's so worth it to say no sometimes. Okay, yes. We you say know? no a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten no. very good at it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think it comes with age, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that. But, but, you know, it's not just us. I mean, when we take something to market and we start to, to fulfill a flight request, we're taking other people's time, too. And so yeah. we're real diligent about if we take something to market and we start taking other people's time and other people's attention, we're, we're you know, we're real about it. You 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 can bet you can take it to the bank. It's 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 legitimate. And when you think about running a flight operation and, and what's really involved in that, it should be. So right. it's not something you want to right. test the waters with. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But I love that. You know, it's so hard and it's so important to know your worth. And, and, you know, I see so many people in business that are worth so much, but they'll take so much less just to get the sale. And sometimes it cheapens the brand. Yeah, I see the opposite I mean, too. I agree with you. And yeah. I see the opposite too. I mean, sometimes, mm -hmm. especially now in our in our industry, there's been this low cost, cheap flying there's no it's there's no such thing it's it's not an inexpensive proposition it's a, a very high hard cost industry and you know sometimes you get people that can absolutely afford it the way you're supposed to do it but they'll spend a lot of time trying to haggle on the price and you know it's just you, you know you're going to save this amount of money and spend that on dinner later tonight is it is it really is it really no. worth that time and so um you know but it's you have to you have to develop a, a sense of mutual respect, you know, so we really make sure that our clients understand that, you know, on the sales side, we're being honest and, and we're being fair and reasonable. And, but most importantly, we're really focusing on the flight. So. I love that. I love that. So, so let's go back to the jockey life and, and, and real quick. So would you mind just telling us, you know, for someone that's maybe never ridden a horse, especially in a horse race, What's that life like? Because we're, we're going to go back. We already talked about it, but I think it's so fascinating. Just the travel. Do you have any travel stories of being a jockey? Oh, sure. Taking me back. Yeah, we, we're going back again. And taking me back. I was just a couple weeks ago. I was actually out in Kentucky before the Derby. I went out to Hillendale Farm. And uh, they bought this farm. Beautiful, just extraordinary property. Exalpa and uh, have really invested in revitalizing it. And it's magical. It's just a fantasy land. They have this property there called the Treehouse. 
and uh, I just everything about it is extraordinary and magical and their stallion barn and uh, you know, the mares and the foals. And it brought me back to when I was younger and, you know, I was just, I had my, my little car and throwing my saddle in the back and hitting the racetracks and showing up to ride. And I miss it. I miss it a lot. And uh, there's nothing quite like it. I, I will always miss racing. I don't think, I think, I don't think I'll ever love anything as much as I loved riding races. Uh, it, it's hard to really put it into words. And uh, but Jet Charter is as close as it as close as you can get, I think. But They're nothing wild. quite like being on the back of a thoroughbred and you know in a pack of horses racing to the wire. And it's I a love thrill. that. I, I love that so much. So so uh, you know, travels something. Being a jockey, so how did you? once you transitioned to like with jets now what what was that experience like going from the car with the saddle in the back now you're doing it's still the passion business you know and i think there's a parallel there that as an entrepreneur once you find your passion like you said earlier in the show you can go for and and uh i think that's so interesting yeah you're you're absolutely correct i think now, as I look at it, I still think of myself as, you know, that young girl on the backside of a racetrack. I'm still, I'm still Absolutely. mucking out stalls. I'm still boots on the ground. But, you know, I used to ride for people who now, who I, I used to ride horses for owners. And now I fulfill jet charters for owners. And I'm seeing the side of the business in such a different way. You know, when you're when you've got somebody who's running in a big race and, you know, they're flying into Churchill, they're flying out to Santa Anita, or they're flying into Saratoga. And, you know, to, to know that excitement and that thrill from the owner's side, having been on the backside, uh, it's magical. There's just nothing like it. And I can reflect on my own life and, and see the journey, I guess you could say, uh, looking back on it now and could never have predicted this is where I would be, but I feel really grateful for it. I love that. So, so when someone's doing that and they're flying to their, what's your horse run? Um, do they, when they call and, and they talk to you, do you, do they ask you anything about horse racing or does that ever come up or is it strictly uh charter talk? Well, it's not just the racing side of it. Mostly, mostly definitely all about the jets uh, for sure. But now I have some clients that uh, are owners and breeders, and so they like to talk horses with me for sure. I have to be honest and, th and say it's my clients that have young children that are riding and have connections with horses that I'm most drawn to at this point because there's just something about, you know, when these these youngsters start having time around the barn and Love you see it. that that youth in them and you just know they're on a good path. You just know they're going to have real character in them and uh, be able to take some hard knocks and keep going. And I also try to keep myself from getting too caught up in the horse racing side because it's always pulling me back. <laughs> I don't know. I might wind up a hot walker in 10 years. It's just, I love it that much. <laughs> I love it. So When so I retire. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see you ever um, uh, so have you ever chartered anything like besides people? Have you ever, you know, maybe a horse? Have you ever done something like that? No, but there, there are charter companies that fly horses. We stick to people. <laughs> We've had some uh, cats and dogs and, you know, some pups that are real near and dear to our heart for sure. But we have not executed uh, any horse flights, but there are a couple real good companies out there that do it. And it's, it's very specialized as you can imagine. And mm -hmm. some of our clients have shipped their horses internationally and across the country. So we're familiar with it, but we do not fulfill it. We, we focus yeah, on people. Yeah, there you go. That's a good thing to focus on for sure. So, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, so what's next for you? Is it growing the brand with Sparrow? Is it, what is it? So we're real focused on that right now, managing growth, making sure that we scale mm -hmm. correctly. Uh, yeah. We're not a, a, our model is not something you can do at mass. You know, you really have to, to manage the growth, keep the relationship going. We feel somewhat of a responsibility to share our message and what we know about the industry and how important the connection is with the client and delivering uh, 
uh, a certain level of service. I think service across the board in most industries is is something that we've just as humanities, we're just not appreciating as much. And so we think that's real important. And, you know, also understanding how how much depth there is in the workforce. I always say it takes about 15 people to get one charter flight up in the air. It's not a turnkey fulfillment. Um, so to do it well and to do it right, you really have to honor, uh, you know, the person fueling the jet, the person at the reception desk, the person who's loading the luggage, the pilots in the cabin, and, you know, the person who's booking the charter and answering the phones. It's 24-7. And so we we like talking about our industry. We like really advocating for it. And aviation is just extraordinary. And uh, we're 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 leaders nationally. I mean, United States. We are we're we're the leaders in this industry, and we're real proud of it. And so, we're looking towards really focusing on uh, you know becoming more of a educational resource uh, at a, a bit of a larger scale. Not too much. We kind of like to keep it close to home, but uh, that's that's our plan. I love that. I love that. I, I didn't know it took 15 people to help actually get the plane off the ground. That's such a big yeah. number. Such a big number. It, when you really think about what, what it is and what you're doing, it's it's intense. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's intense. And so you see a lot of booking apps out there that you just go online and find a jet. And it's not like that. You know, it takes a lot. And these, you know, I always say to pilots are away from their families, away from their homes, mostly for weekends or holidays or things that are real special. I can say for me, every holiday over the last 12 years has been more about my clients uh, right. than anything else. And I love that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I've watched births and funerals and graduations and engagements and weddings. I mean, it's just so fulfilling in so many different ways, but you know, really honoring the workforce of this industry, I, I think is, is super important, just, a, just as important it is as, as honoring, you know, the clientele that we service. I love that. I, I love that. So, <laughs> so what do you, what do you see for the future? Do you see more families doing that? Like we talked about earlier, or Cause I, I see family travel. I see making the memories and, and trying to do that. Well, travel's on the rise in general. So yeah. I, one of the things that I'm really excited about with, you know, everything that we've come out with and the international restrictions that had taken place, there's a lot to see in America. I mean, yeah. so many places to go and see and so much history. So we've had we've had a lot of fun, you know, launching some missions across the country and in different states and, and areas that maybe weren't as popular over the last 10 years. So that's been real exciting. Uh, you know, the summer months were back up and out to Europe, which is also fun. But America has been really beautiful for the last couple of years. I love that. So I'm so clever you said that. I appreciate that because there is so much to see in America. It's kind of like, you know, you, you pass the tourist spots wherever you live to go somewhere else. I love that. <laughs> And you know what you'd love, Scott? I mean, these regional airports that you get to go in and out of, you know, you think about that too, when you're flying private, you know, you're, you're going into regionally based airports that mm -hmm. really connect you to the community. It's not like going to a large international, I mean, you go into international airports as well, but when you land somewhere and you go to a regional airport and you get a real flavor from the minute you land, you get a flavor of that culture and that community. And, you know, it's just beautiful. There's nothing better than people, right? Other than horses. I agree with you. I love that. I love the culture of when you're traveling, you know, same with when we're going to places with horses or whatever. I want to know what it's like in that area. You know, that's part of the trip. It's part of the memory. It so, really is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So what's your favorite regional airport? I am a big fan of Manassas Regional Airport in Northern Virginia. It's known as HEF. I mean, they just do it right, you know, and I came up on that airfield and it's just such a great community and everybody has each other's backs and, you know, their development, their oversight, the way they run that airport is just fantastic. I think it's a real, a real, a real role model for other regional airports that are out there. So, so awesome. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for being on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. It's been so much fun. It's been a blast. We got to get you on a jet, Scott. We have to. That would be so much. We'll just take the cameras and uh, take everybody with us. I'm all for it. I'll come down to Texas and Ryan, you come up my way and we'll, we'll hop oh, on a jet and, and have some fun. That'd be a deal. That'd be a deal. Oh, <laughs> such a fun so show. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. Thank you very much for being on the show. And thank you for watching and listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Have a great day, y'all. Thank you to all the great sponsors of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. If you or your business is interested in being a sponsor of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, please call our office at 830-992-1786 or visit our website, cowboyentrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA, Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, they're little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions, rebellious infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. You can listen to KCAA Radio anytime on your smartphone device. Call 720-835-3099. 720-835-3099. This is Judge Herb Dodell, and our show is called For the People. It's available every Monday at 4 o'clock, 4 to 5. And we'll be talking about all kinds of things pertaining to the law and how it really works from the inside as opposed to the outside. So tune in and learn all you need to know about the legal system and how it works. It's time to shop in the cool, relaxed comfort of the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands, conveniently located on the I-10 freeway between the Alabama and Tennessee exits. Bring the kids too and watch them play in the only indoor fun center, High Five Indoor Playground, where parents are welcomed on the playground. Birthday celebrations are encouraged, so make plans for some great fun at the mall. More reasons why the Tri-City Center is called the Mall with a Heart. In this horrible time of economic collapse, it is truly touching to see so many corporate chieftains reaching out in solidarity with a hard-hit working class. We know they're doing this because they keep telling us they are. Practically every brand-name giant has been spending millions of dollars on PR campaigns in recent weeks, asserting that they're standing with us, declaring over and over, we're all in this together. Except, of course, they're really not standing anywhere near us. While we're waiting in endless lines at food banks and unemployment offices, the elites are still getting fat paychecks and platinum-level health care. The severity and gross disparity of our country's present economic collapse is not simply caused by a sudden viral outbreak, but by a decades-long plutocratic policy of intentionally maximizing profits for the rich and minimizing everyone else's well-being. 
As the eminent economist Joseph Stiglitz rightly put it, we built an economy with no shock absorbers. Jobs, once the measure of a family's economic security, have steadily been shriveled to low-wage, unreliable work, untethered to a fair share, or any share, of the new wealth that workers create. In a relentless push for exorbitant short-term profits, today's executives have abandoned any pretense that a corporation is a community of interdependent interests striving to advance the common good. Instead, while the honchos are richly covered, they're washing their hands of any responsibility for the health, retirement, and other essential needs of their workforce. Rely on food stamps and other publicly funded programs, they say even as their lobbyists and for-sale lawmakers slash the public safety net. This is Jim Hightower saying, these forces of American greed have shoved millions of working families to the economic precipice, and all it takes is a virus to push them over. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-403-4623-800-403-4623-800-403-4623. That's 800-403-4623. Bob Vila here with my home improvement tip of the day. Chair rail molding adds a tasteful touch to rooms, especially when it's combined with crown molding. Chair rail type moldings were used at least as far back as the Greeks and the Romans, but they didn't come into popular usage until 18th century England. They were all about protecting walls from chairs, which were always kept at rest up against the walls in proper English dining rooms. If you're thinking of installing chair rails in your home, here are a few points to keep in mind. To be the most visually appealing, chair rails need to be installed at the right height. Most experts say the right height is about a third of the distance from the floor to the ceiling. If your tastes tell you otherwise, maybe go a little lower rather than higher. Installing above 32 inches is likely to be unflattering to the proportions of the room. The best width for a chair rail molding will vary a bit depending on the dimensions and the wall colors of the room, but 2 to 3 inches is most common. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. Do you love to dine out and travel? Then join me, the number one food critic, Alan Borgen, host of the Let's Dine Out TV show on PBS every Saturday at 4 p.m. for the new Let's Dine Out radio show on KCAA 1050 AM. Along with my co-host, Isabel Bussey, we will be reviewing local restaurants, interviews with culinary professionals, review new cooking products, cookbooks, plus so much more, including giving away free gift certificates. That's the new Let's Dine Out radio show right here on KCAA 1050 AM every Saturday at 4 p.m. Happy eating! NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is hitting a new low for the year. Fears of a global recession rattled markets with all the major averages capping their fifth negative week in the last six. Tech stocks and energy shares led the sell-off. The Dow Jones lost 486 points to 29,590. The S&P fell 64 points to 36,93. A review of documents seized from former President Trump's Florida home is underway once again. That's according to multiple reports. The review of the documents is focused on national security implications. Efforts by federal officials to comb through the documents had been previously halted. An appeals court ruling allowed the review to begin again. President Biden is making a promise on abortion rights should more Democrats be elected in November. But if you give me two more Democratic senators in the United States Senate, I promise you, I promise you. We're going to codify Roe. Speaking at a Democratic National Committee event, the president said women showing up at the polls would show MAGA Republicans the power they have to get things done. Career prosecutors are recommending against charging Republican Congressman Matt Gates in the sex trafficking investigation surrounding him. Lisa Taylor reports. 
The Justice Department has yet to announce a decision about whether they'll charge the Florida lawmaker. However, people familiar with the probe told The Washington Post the DOJ typically follows such advice. The investigation began in 2020, focusing on an alleged affair with a 17-year-old girl years earlier. Gates denies the claims. A boy who was seriously injured during a mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois, is now home. Eight-year-old Cooper Roberts suffered a broken vertebrae, severe spinal cord injury, and paralysis from being shot. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. KCAA Radio, Loma Linda, where no listener is ever left behind.